King Herod heard of Jesus and his disciples, for Jesus's name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason, these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, like the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. <clears throat> when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you even half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? She replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, uh, as lurid as that story is, um, we are actually not, I'm not going to dwell on it over much. It seems to me to be fairly self-evident uh, in Mark's aim in telling it. Um, we begin today our seven week journey through the epistle to uh, the Ephesians, known as Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We are not actually sure that Paul genuinely wrote it, and we also aren't sure it was a letter, or even if it was originally intended for Ephesus, but that's okay, uh, because that doesn't really affect um, how elegant this letter language is and how impactful it has been in the history of the church. Uh, whether Paul wrote it himself or someone who was a follower of his wrote it, uh, we cannot deny the impact that this book has had. And it is, uh, it has the particular distinction of possessing both some of my favorite and least favorite verses in the entire New Testament in just in sh six short chapters. And I am very grateful to the people who compiled the Revised Common Lectionary for giving us an opportunity to spend some time with Ephesians this summer, because it is well worth it. Uh, there is a lot of theology going on in Ephesians, and we'll, we'll absolutely get there. Uh, but this initial verse that we heard this morning, these verses, uh, do, do lay out the themes of this epistle. Um, it continues the Pauline tradition of reminding Christian communities of the gospel 
and then exhorts them to live in a particular way in the light of that gospel. Since Christ is raised, we are the church, a church which includes people of diverse backgrounds and many different cultures. And Ephesians is particularly concerned with the unity between those cultures and how we are able to be the church, what that means in a world that the author experiences as being dangerous and sometimes even hostile. So maybe uh, this was written, if it was written by Paul, it was written by him when he was imprisoned by the Romans. Um, and if it was written by one of his followers after his death, it might've been, been written in the midst of one of the persecutions by the Roman empire of Christianity. Uh, in any case, Ephesians explores how a life of faith can help us overcome divisions, withstand life's difficulties, and remain hopeful in direct counter to the cynical voices of the world, which at every turn would have us give up hope uh, and simply give ourselves over to uh, life is short for tomorrow we may die. However, um, despite this, like really vivid sense of uh, the, the, the real danger that evil poses in the world, uh, which I must say uh, is very well illustrated by our gospel reading today. Uh, Ephesians is not written from a place of fear. The author doesn't represent a Christian community huddled in on itself, afraid of outsiders and of difference or underground for fear of persecution. Instead, Ephesians shows us an expansive vision of God in the church, one in which the role of the church takes on cosmic significance. Faith is a shield against the potential threats from a world not yet reconciled to God. And such a God, Ephesians describes in our reading today. Uh, we have omitted the initial sort of little bitty greeting um, the first couple of verses of this ver of this letter. This is this uh, section that we read today is is really the opening salvo of this epistle, and uh, this is an effusive hymn of praise, which sets the stage for the rest of the epistle's themes. Like I said, it describes the abundant, generous love of God in such fullness that it's like almost overwhelming to listen to. Um, it would have been even more overwhelming in the original Greek because in the original Greek all of these 12 verses are one long sentence. There's, this is only punctuated because the translators chose to do that, uh, I assume for readability for English readers. Um, but in Greek, it just would go on and on and on and on. Uh, and uh, it makes it kind of hard to parse. Um, after a certain point, your brain just kind of gets overwhelmed and shuts off and you're like, yes, very good, but what? Um, it's the kind of language that sort of washes over you, giving not so much like a logical argument or a narrative, but rather a series of images and impressions. Um, I found as I prepared to preach on this verse that I had to read it over and over again to even get a sense of what was happening. So we are going to sort of dwell in it today uh, because there's a lot in there and it's all really good. Um, first, we're submerged in the love of a God who loves extravagantly. Paul writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestows on us in the beloved. So we are told that God not only created the universe and everything and everyone in it, like our Psalm says today, God created the, the earth and, and created its firmness from the rivers of the deep. God also intended from the very beginning to reconcile everyone to God in Christ. So our adoption as Gentile Christians is not an accident. It is by design of this God who has blessed us and will continue to bless us. This language really gives like a sense of the cosmic scope of what we're talking about. Um, the meaning of what God has revealed in Christ. And this letter, even if it wasn't written by Paul, definitely continues the Pauline understanding of Christ isn't just a person um, or even like just a personage of God. Christ is an event. So for Paul and people who followed him and, and understood his and, and cared about his teachings, the, the scope of history could be you know, envisioned as before Christ and after Christ. Like this is kind of where, this is where we get our measurement of time, literally. That Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection was an event. Uh, and it, 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 everything before it led up to it and everything that happened after it was changed by it. And the church as Christ's body, uh, which the Ephesians will refer to us as later in the in the letter, um, is participating in this story. Uh, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. Isn't that wonderful? The riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, she has made known to us the mystery of her will, according to her good pleasure that she set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of she who accomplishes all things according to her counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. So we are being told that God loved us even before the foundation of the world. God sent Jesus for our redemption and God gives us the Holy Spirit now. But that's not enough. Like, but wait, the author seems to be saying there's more. The Holy Spirit is not only the bestower of our current spiritual gifts, which uh, will also be explored later in, in Ephesians, um, but is a pledge of our inheritance for the future. So any benefit that we gain, any spiritual gift, any sort of um, enlivening of, our, of ourselves and our spiritual life is, is not only good for us now, it is a sign of what we will inherit in the future. God may have begun God's reconciling work with Israel, but it was never God's intention to stop there. So we are assured that God will ultimately gather up all things in Christ, all things in heaven and on earth. This is so expansive and so 
all encompassing um, that, you know, it's, it's like the, the per, this person who wrote this is just wanting to convey over and over and over the totality of God's love for God's creation and everything in it. We are redeemed and forgiven, but God lavishes grace upon us. There's more. We also have a share in the inheritance of God's children when all this is fulfilled. Truly what gifts have been bestowed on us? Like how generous is God in this story that Ephesians is telling? But it's one thing for us to hear about this love and another thing to experience it. Yes, our adoption comes with rights and responsibilities. You all have heard me preach before. You know how much I love to talk about our responsibilities as Christians in the world. Um, but it is also good for now to dwell in the heady language of this first chapter, to remind ourselves just how deep, how wide, how enduring is God's love for us. How the fingerprints of this loving God who is so willing to pursue relationship with us and all the people who have ever been born it are all over the world. In order for us to live as we are called by our baptism, we need to give ourselves the opportunity to dwell in this love, to see those traces of God around us. And when we get busy and distracted and overwhelmed, it can be hard to do that. Uh, but it is, it is profoundly important to, to take the time for us to do that. I, I keep going back to the phrase, glorious grace freely given. That really stuck out to me when I read that passage this week. And it became my refrain as I worked through my week, as I listened to birdsong this morning, or as I drove to Juno's doctor's appointments, or as I answered emails, or as I cooked dinner or folded laundry. It, it just kept rattling in my head and it helped me remember, you know, that glorious grace freely given, that this is who God is and this is who I am. I wonder what helps you to see God at work in our world. It might not be the same thing that helps me. Is it a practice of daily prayer? Or is it time spent with loved ones or getting out into the beautiful creation that surrounds us? Whatever it, that is, I really hope that you are able to do it this summer. We can't pour out love on others from an empty vessel. It is good and right to nourish ourselves, to be kind and gentle with ourselves and with one another. When we are able to really let this love sink in, then we can truly feel the grace that God has lavished on us instead of just think about it. The world can still feel dangerous and uncertain, just like in the first century, obviously. Um, we've been through quite a time and this week it was devastating to hear about the assassination of Haiti's president and the uncertainty and fear that our friends in Petit True are now living with. But losing hope helps no one. It may be easy to think nothing can improve because everything, something else always seems to happen. But when we set our hope in Christ, 
we can withstand the wounds we inevitably receive from our as yet imperfect world. And when we do that, we too may live lives in praise of God's glory. Amen.